and the provider, the doctor, doesn't really either know the limits or even have a way to know where the patient is relative to the limits. Correct. This is stupid. Welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior serving professionals and providers with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit MasteringMedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. What's up, podcast listeners? Hello. Woo, welcome. we're back. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Mastering Medicare. You can visit us at MasteringMedicare.net where we uh, have our show notes and transcripts and additional resources that you might find super helpful. All right, Mastering Medicare, where we take a super dry and boring topic like government-run health insurance and we glam it up. Or make it more dry. Or make it more dry, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's just bleh. Anyway, okay, so we have, in the past couple of podcasts, we have discussed an overview of Medicare. We had our last podcast where we did a deep dive into Part A. Part A, which to recap is inpatient hospital, inpatient rehab, home health, and hospice. And now today, we are excited to talk to you about Part B. So Amy, what is Part B? Part B is like the meatiest part of Medicare. It's the part of Medicare that if there's a doctor listening right now, that doctor better know that they are billing for Part B Medicare services. If they don't, what should they do? Well, just, let me just say hang something. the hat, just hang their hat and just be like, I give up, I'm done. Like, I shouldn't be doing this. I think one key fact is telling here, not once in medical school or residency did the phrase Part B Medicare even... Yeah, I didn't hear it once. It was yeah. not even mentioned Not once. mentioned. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I knew the word Medicare, but I thought it was the same thing as Medicaid, so what But before I know? we get into Part B, uh, let's recap for the audience again. Why do these parts exist? What is this? What are, what, what are these different parts? So this is Medicare's way of paying for patients' interactions with professionals for specifically Part B or on the Part A side for institutional and post-acute care Yeah, so it's medicine. Medicare's organization system for payment, basically. Correct. Right? It's an organization system for payment. That's so every, exactly right. Every time Medicare wants to pay for a certain service, it has to figure out, is this service part of this part or that part? And there's different rules for how the money gets distributed depending on which part is in, right? Yep, that's okay. it. That's it. And we talked about Part A, and today we're going to talk about Part B. So so what are the parts of Part B? What things are included in Part B? So Part B is professional services, which includes any payments, whether wherever they are given by MDs, DOs, NPs, which are nurse practitioners, PAs, physician assistants, other types of qualified health professionals, which can include dietitians for certain types of care, certain types of clinical social workers and certain types of care they provide. On the outpatient side, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, and certain types of clinical psychologists. All people who can bill Medicare are called qualified health professionals. And those are the those are the folks that we are we really focus on in part B. Got it. So all MD, DO, NP, and PA work is under Part B, regardless of whether inpatient or outpatient. Correct. But some of the other ones that you mentioned, like physical therapy, speech, uh, occupational therapy, could be either Part A or Part B, depending. Depending, right. So like if you are receiving physical therapy in a hospital or in a rehab center or in Medicare-skilled home health. Yeah, that's under your Part A benefit. Got it. But once you are in outpatient status, 
That's part B. So those physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech therapists yeah. do have to actually learn two different ways of documenting the services that they provide. Okay. But, but we're not done. But we're, we're not, not done. done. We're All not right. done. There's we're not more. Done. There's, but yet there's more. Part B also pays for x-rays, labs, and durable medical equipment. It yeah. also pays for certain immunizations if given by a Part B provider. Okay, hold on. Let's clarify. Let's go back. Few, few, Let's go back. You've used a few, you said X-ray, but I think what you really mean is radiology. All radiology. All radiology. Right? Actually, so, thank you for clarifying. CAT yeah. scan, MRI, all, all ultrasound, that. but outpatient radiology, right? Bingo. Correct. Right. If those are done as part of an inpatient hospitalization, that goes under your Part A benefit. Okay, and to remind our audience, when you're in the ER. You are in outpatient status. You are outpatient. Un- until you are admitted to inpatient. Correct. You could be, I guess the word is transferred to observation status, but that is still an outpatient status. Correct. So the radiology that's performed when you are in outpatient status in the ER or observation is covered under Part B. Not only that, but it, it's the procedure of having it done as well as the reading of that. Got it. Yeah. So both so Medicare Part B is paying for the process of doing the study as well as paying the person who is reading the study. Got it. All under the Part B benefit. So we had the professional services mm-hmm. in either inpatient or outpatient. Mm-hmm. We have outpatient radiology. You also mentioned labs, but again that's just outpatient labs, right? Correct. Got it. So outpatient radiology, outpatient labs, you also mentioned DME. What is DME? So durable medical equipment is exactly what the words say. It's durable, which means it lasts, and it's medical equipment, which means it's medical equipment. It's not supplies. This is not diapers and chucks and ABD pads and Band-Aids and all that sort of stuff. This is literally beds, wheelchairs, walkers, durable, things that are going to last. Those are covered under Part B. Covered in, under Part B, correct. Okay. And then we. what about 911? 911 is covered under Part B if it is truly a medical emergency. So medical necessity has to be met. Yes. Okay. So if you want to get transported, this is one of those like, hey, Alex, did you know that Medicare doesn't pay for transportation? It would be Medicare doesn't pay for non-emergency transportation. Medicare does not pay for you to take an ambulance or an ambulette or any sort of transportation to a doctor's appointment. But they will pay if you are having a medical emergency to a hospital. Right. And we are talking about original Medicare. We're not talking about Medicare Advantage. Until we state otherwise, we are going to be talking about original Medicare. Yeah, got it. Okay. So to recap, the services covered under Part B, they're the professional services, whether inpatient or outpatient, outpatient labs, outpatient radiology, DME, and 911 when it's medically necessary. And, Got it. and to clarify, ER and observation, because they are outpatient services, even if they might be provided in the hospital setting, those two are Part B services. Right. Got yep. it. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what it means to have Part B Medicare. Now, we talked a little bit about the fact that it is an opt-in type of insurance, which means it, it it's available to you when you're 65, but you have to opt into it. And, you know, there are people who, for lots of different reasons, do not opt into it, but it is commonly opted into, right? Okay. And as opting into that, 
you have a sliding scale by which you have to pay your premium. That premium ranges from about $140 up to about $400, depending upon how much you earned in the two years prior to paying that monthly deductible. Got it. So hold on. Let me make sure I understand. So unlike Part A, which doesn't have a premium but does have other cost-sharing components, to get Part B, you have to pay a monthly premium. You are correct. And that monthly premium is based on your income from two years ago. That is correct. Uh, Even later on, when you're 80 years old, they're still looking at your income from two years prior. Correct. Now, obviously, that's it's it's interesting because what you're doing is at the time that you're 65 years old, they're looking at how much you were making when you were 63, which means you may have been making quite a bit of money right before you retired and became fixed income. So you're going to pay based on that. As you age into sort of post 65 year old living, you know, you may be making less. So your premium may actually march down over time. Got it. And that premium only covers 80% of the costs incurred under Part B, right? Absolutely. So Medicare has created what is called the Medicare fee schedule. They set the Medicare allowable costs for the 7,000 different things that Medicare will pay for under Part B, right? So Medicare has decided that going to the doctor and, you know, being evaluated for knee pain, they're, they are going to say it is $100. We are never going to pay more than $100 for this. So even if Dr. Smith decides to send that bill off to Medicare for $1,000, Medicare will say you will never earn more than $100 for this particular procedure or service. evaluation yeah. service. And we would call, you know, there's services, there's E&M codes. We'll get into that at some point. But so then Medicare's kind enough to say to you, yeah, yeah. All right. We've already set the cost. We're only going to pay you 80% of that. So even though they've set the rate at $100, they're still only going to pay you 80 bucks. So, so Medicare sets the maximum amount, but then only pays 80% of it. Correct. And the other 20% is either the patient responsibility or the patient needs to pay for yet another insurance to cover that. Correct. And Medicare also, despite not considering it to be part of the A, the B, and the D under the original Medicare, Medicare does control the types of secondary insurance policies that you can purchase. Which would cover this 20% of Part B. Correct. And some of the policies are more expensive. So this is sort of where Medicare under Part B is sort of like it's an all comers kind of thing. It doesn't matter if you've like a thousand medical problems and are on, you know, lots of medications, they're going to say it's this amount of money. And it's based on the fact that you made this amount of money two years ago. But once you start looking into the Medigap policies, there's more of that uh, insurancy kind of feel to it because those are all private insurance companies providing you with opportunities to get your other 20% paid for. They are prescribed plans, Medicare has said, you must provide, if you're going to provide a Medigap policy, you must provide it in one of the following categories. And there's about 10 categories. Right. And they're labeled with alphabet letters like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And each of those different types of Medigap policies. Also called. Supplemental. Mm -hmm. um, They also, they will also pay for lots of other little things depending upon what you want to pay for as well. So let's just say, You wanted it so that you never had to pay your Part A deductible for the hospitalization. 
Right. You the fourteen hundred dollars that we talked correct. about. Correct. You could buy a Medigap policy that would actually pay for that. All right. Let me make sure I understand. So part B payment wise, eighty percent is covered under premium that you have to pay every month based on your income two years prior. Yep. And that's generally between about roughly hundred forty bucks and almost five hundred dollars a month. And the other twenty percent is either the patient responsibility or the patient can pay uh, for the premium for this Medigap or supplemental insurance to cover. And that's provided by private health insurance companies as opposed to directly from Medicare. And that supplemental insurance or Medigap coverage is based on which of those 10 types or degrees of coverage you opt for. Correct. So- Two very different components of payment for uh, or costs, the patient costs in Part B. Right. There's an additional cost in Part B, um, and that is the deductible. Medicare at Part B has a monthly premium, but it also has a yearly deductible of $185. Oh, really? Correct. So in 2019, it was $185 a year. In 2020, that deductible is going to be $198, so up by $13. So there is a deductible of $190, essentially, before you can have your Part B insurance kick in. Interesting. So, and my understanding of the minimum premium on the Medigap portion is about $120 a month. Is that right? So- so the absolute minimum that any patient would pay for the combination of the premium on the 80% plus the premium on the 20% is about 140 plus about 120 so about $260 a month absolutely minimum uh, which would be this kind of uh, quote unquote best case scenario of having very little income Correct. But if you are somebody who has a lot of money, you could be paying as much as a thousand dollars a month just for premium. Just for premium. Just for the premium for part B. Correct. Yeah. Not yeah. we are not even talking about the cost sharing on part A or part D or anything else. Correct. That's a far cry from what many people and I even many um, healthcare folks believe. Free. Correct. And and that excludes, remember, Medicare excludes a lot of things that you really think Medicare would pay for. Right. Hearing aids and diabetic shoes and all, all these different things, you think Medicare is going to pay for them because you just assume, well, I'm older and these are things that older problems that older folks get. Like, why isn't Medicare paying for right. them? So, yeah, so there's a lot of surprise costs. So right. even though you're just paying your premiums, there's things that go outside of that. What I think is really important to understand is that there's sometimes limits. Like, we talk a lot about, I'm just going to go get lab work done, right? Oh, let's just go get labs, labs. Oh, everyone get labs. If you are getting outpatient labs, there are limits to how many times you can have certain blood tests done, right? Like you can only get a TSH done twice a year, but doctors often order it many more times and then the patient is left paying that. But there's actually no way really, unfortunately, which I know you were probably thinking of asking me, there's really no way for a doctor who works over here on one side of town to know that a doctor on the other side of town, both outpatient doctors, have been both ordering that same test. 
I mean, that's that's just crazy. It's a little crazy. There's really no way to do same and similars. It's sort of like an after the fact surprise billing. And the and the lab is the one who's on the hook for it, right? Because they're the ones that are going to try and collect that money. It's just crazy to have rules and quotas and maxima that uh, that have real financial impact on the patient or the lab or the provider, yet very few tools for the stakeholders to use to understand like Correct. where they are in terms, what are the limits and how close are they to overstepping them? Right. I mean, there's a lot of people that are getting duplicative tests because you can't find the other tests. Right. Like that is a well-known thing, right? X-ray here, X-ray there. Wow, that's a lot of X-rays. But there's also this cost issue. It's not just the x-ray exposure and the fact it's time and energy and all this it's that the patient doesn't really know and the provider doesn't really know where what they're working with i mean there's a limited number of tests you can like reach into the medicare database and pull it out for like preventive services which are by the way 100 percent covered by medicare under the part b benefit but some of them that are outside of that preventive services uh, sort of categorization you really don't know yeah. if somebody has had that in any given year Okay, can you talk a little bit about, uh, to help clarify, you said some of this PTOT, skilled nursing, is inpatient, sometimes, which is part A, and sometimes it's part B. Yep. Uh, how do I, as a, let's say I'm a primary care doctor, uh, and I think my patient needs some physical therapy, how do I, are these different types of companies, part A versus part B, you know, physical therapy, like, how do I make sense out of this whole thing? So this is really very interesting because it's clearly a conundrum for a lot of people to understand. If you are somebody who is homebound, if you have a patient who is homebound, the homebound patient can receive physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy, the, the therapies, if you will, okay. in their home under a Part A benefit for a limited period of time until they plateau, until there's quote unquote no need. Okay. Under the Part A benefit. If they wish to continue, they can continue under the Part B benefit, which is a different company. There's Part A companies that contract for Part A, and there's companies that contract for Part B. Now, of course, there's exceptions. There's some companies that do a little bit of Part A and a little bit of Part B. But all in all, think of these as two different companies. And the Part B outpatient companies, those are all the companies that you see around, too, like you drive down the street and you see a physical therapy company in a strip mall. You yeah. see physical therapists everywhere. They are billing under Part B Medicare. But interestingly, you can also go into the home and be billing Part B Medicare after Part A is done. So for Part B home health, are you still filling out a Form 485 or is that just for Part A? It's not Part B home health. It's Part B physical therapy OT speech. Ah. You fill out an order just the same way you would if they were going to an outpatient clinic in a strip mall. Got it. It's the same thing. It's not actually home health. It's just that those are services that are still accessible in the home, but you, you can get them either here or you can get them there. The interesting thing about this is that if you are a physical therapist that is providing care in a patient's home under Part B, you get paid the same amount of money as a physical therapist than if you were seeing that patient in a facility. And that is why there are not a lot of companies doing Part B physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy in the home. There just aren't. Because there's no premium being paid for Correct. driving Correct. There and is that. no trip fee. There's right. there's no, re, you know, so 
it, you can access it. Sure. Also, interestingly, Part B, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, is available in the home even if you're not homebound. There's mm. no homebound criteria for it. Well, because it's being reimbursed the same rate, right? Correct. So as long as you just qualify for the service. Exactly. And that just requires <coughs> a physician to write an order that says PTOT, eval, gait disorder, secondary to Parkinson's disease, something like that. Right. So that's how that gets accessed. Very different than ac- accessing it for Part A, which right. requires face-to-faces and 485s and all this complex stuff. And PTOT speech in the Part B world is just a prescription and a referral. Got it. So that's PTOT and speech. Let's just talk about a few other things that are interesting under the Part B benefit. So we talked about labs and radiology. Radiology, like we talked about, is the procedure and the reading of it all under Part B. Okay. 80-20 split. Labs, no 80-20 split. It's 100% paid for. Oh, interesting. There is no cost sharing for labs. But they do have the limits on... Exactly. Then there's the gotchas of the, you've already had too many vitamin D tests. You've already had too many TSHs. So the patient is often left paying for things because even the doctor who put the right ICD-10 codes or the correct diagnosis codes to get the test done didn't realize that this doctor over here already ordered that a month ago. Wow. So the provider, the doctor could really screw the patient over by ordering lab tests that are more than what Medicare has prescribed. And completely unknowingly. Yeah, and then the patient's stuck holding the bill. Yep. That's horrible. And the provider, the doctor, doesn't really either know the limits or even have a way to know where the patient is relative to the limits. Correct. This is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Let's see if we can fix that. We'll start, <laughs> we'll start a business after we're done with our podcast. This is just stupid. Yeah, can you press pause? We're going to start a business. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So you've used Dr. Chrono as your EMR, right? Yeah. Uh, so does the EMR help in any way on this? Not in this particular case, no. You do, it doesn't give you that sort of, you know, sure scripts is fun because when you're looking at patients' med lists, you can see if they're tier one, and we'll get into that when we're talking about part D, but not for uh, labs. So this, this is just so crazy for me. What if the test is needed? So you can get around stuff. So it's okay. really interesting. Let's just say um, you do the test okay. and you've recently changed their thyroid meds. Okay, okay. You know that they get two per year, but you've just recently changed their thyroid sure. meds. You can actually go back to the, the lab company if they send a bill. You can actually go back and sort of explain to them that you just recently changed it. And there, there is something that can happen in the back so that it can get reimbursed. It can't just be like a blanket hemoglobin A1C every month. You know, you can say we recently made changes to their insulin or something like that. And the lab company can go back to Medicare and say there's a uh, there's different ways for them to communicate about medical necessity. Medical necessity. So wait, so you have to communicate back to the lab and then the lab takes your communication and talks to Medicare. This sounds insane. It's insane. Wow. It's insane. Can we talk about durable medical equipment? Because that's really fun. Yeah. So durable medical equipment, when I first started doing house calls, I, I may have already told you about this at one point, is it's just like a medical mystery. Like, how do you get this stuff ordered for somebody? 
Because first off... Well, remind the audience what what sort of things fall under Great. D&D. So let's just talk about beds, wheelchairs, and walkers. If we okay. keep it simple like that, I think people will really understand. Just to order a wheelchair, you know, a standard wheelchair, you have to order... You can't just sort of say standard wheelchair. you got to order the armrests and the footrests. Separately? Yeah. Yeah. And you have to know height and weight and how wide the thing and this. And there's a million different questions that get asked. Right. You can't just write on a script like the old days where a doctor could write standard wheelchair and then like walk up to some place like gone because the whole industry of DME has completely changed. Well, when I hear the word DME, I instantly think fraud and Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Why is that? Well, I think there has been a lot of fraud in like the scooter market. And people just sort of deciding that people need this really expensive stuff. I mean, the way that Medicare does this is really interesting is if you order a hospital bed or a wheelchair or a walker and the patient like qualifies, Medicare begins a 13 month lease to own with the durable medical equipment supplier, which means that if the bed is, let's just say, a thirteen hundred dollar bed. They will pay $100 a month. Medicare will pay $100 a month or rather 80% of that $1,300 to the durable medical equipment supplier. Okay. Of course, there's the 20% cost sharing. So Medicare says, okay, you are owed $100 a month. They will pay 80 of it. You go get the other 20 from the patient side or from the Medigap policy, whatever. And after those 13 months, guess what? You own it. You own that bed, wow. which means if it breaks after that 13 months, no one will fix it. If it is in that 13-month period, the supplier of that equipment, they have to fix it. Okay. But after that 13 months, they don't have to fix it. And then you may not be due for another new one for five years or 10 years, depending upon the piece of equipment. Mm. So what ends up happening is that if you order something and you get it, you, may, you better make sure it's exactly the way you want it. During those 13 months. And it's 13 months regardless of the type of device or the equipment? Correct. It's a 13-month lease for pretty much all DME. Wow. Wheelchairs, walkers, and everything. So it's interesting. You can say, well, if it's a $13,000 device, Medicare, the allowable per month is $1,000 a month. There's some yeah. really expensive hospital beds out there, particularly ones that are have like really fine sand blowing through them. They're like $20,000, $25,000 for a bed. And you spread that out over 13 months, that's how much Medicare is going to have the allowable cost. Right. And then they're only going to kick in 80%. And the other 20% is for the Medigap or the patient themselves. Wow. A lot of opportunity oh, for errors. Yeah, Completely. But this is what I wanted to say is that in the DME world, if you decide that you want something... There are a lot more resources for what are called same and similar. I'm a durable medical equipment company right now, and I get an order for a bed. I, as this DME supplier, have a network where I can type in uh, their patient's Medicare number and the type of thing that's been ordered for them. And it will send me back information that comes from inside the Medicare system. It is called same and similar. So it'll say, no, you can't get a bed because you had a bed four years ago. Or you can't get a bed because you got one a year ago. So you can't get a wheelchair because you recently got a walker. You can't get a wheelchair because you recently got a wheelchair. And there's a couple of really great companies, and we use one of them called Parachute. And you just put all the information in, and it basically says, yes, you can get that. You can't get that. You don't have enough documentation. You don't have the reasons correct. You know, it sort of has simplified it. Like from the time I started doing house calls, 
like nine years ago to now, DME is not really a bear. It's it's a bear, but it's not as big a bear. So you're saying that with DME, there's a live or real-time el- real yeah. eligibility checker. There is a real-time eligibility checker, and it's in the same and similar. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And that, I mean, based on our discussion, that should exist for lab, but it what doesn't. What you think? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really, really fascinating. Okay. Anything else on part B? I don't think so. Okay, so let's recap it real quick. So part B is professional services, inpatient or outpatient. It is ER and observation, 911 when medically necessary, outpatient labs, outpatient radiology, and DME. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for the most part, the patient costs for part B are paying the premium or the 80% coverage, and they're paying that to Medicare directly, and then they're paying a private company a second premium for the 20% coverage, which is also called Medigap or supplemental insurance. Correct. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Woo! We're gonna Part have, B. Yeah, we'll have a, a transcript and, and our show notes at masteringmedicare.net. Our email is info at masteringmedicare.net. Please feel free to email us any questions or topic suggestions you have. And thank you for joining us. Yay! Can't wait for part D! You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. 